This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I'm talking with my sister, Erica. Erica Sylvester, uh, her author name is Erica Anderson, though, which is her maiden name. So uh, she is a freelance writer, a podcaster, an author, and a mom of two. She lives in Indianapolis, and she's been published in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and she also has a business called Pitch and Publish, where she teaches people how to do that as well, how to get published. This is her second time on the show, and she was episode 36 on this podcast, where she talked about her sobriety journey. She has now been sober for two and a half years, so we get a little update on how that's going. I, of course, weigh in on all of my thoughts and feelings and all the things about alcohol, Uh, And then we talk about her new book, which is called Reason to Return. Her first book is called Leaving Cloud Nine, the true story of a life resurrected from the ashes of poverty, trauma, and mental illness. And that is a story about her husband's life. And this newest book, Reason to Return, is about church and returning to church. We talk about faith a lot in this episode. We talk about our upbringing and uh, how that shaped us into who we are today and also how we forged our own paths outside of what we were taught growing up and also how that foundation was super important to who we are today. I'm super honest and vulnerable in this episode. I also just want to say like I always just want to be really authentic and I know that's cliche to say everybody says you know you want to be authentic but I, I really truly mean it. Um, I am constantly searching and I don't really know what I believe, but I'm always, always open to conversations and hearing, hearing from people from different walks of life. And uh, Erica and I have a really honest conversation about those things. And if you are interested in faith communities in the church, I I recommend checking out her book. It's called Reason to Return by Erica Anderson. And she's going to tell you all about it in this episode. But We go all sorts of different ways, and I hope you enjoy this casual conversation. I wanted to let you all know I've I've had it on my heart to kind of restructure a little bit here on the podcast. Um, I'm always going to have a parenting focus on some episodes, but you know, when I tell people about this show and I say this is a podcast for parents, sometimes I want to talk about other things, and I don't want it to be so solely focused on that because I'm thinking I don't know that I'd want to listen to a podcast that was only about that. So you might see some expansion in the types of episodes we have. And I hope that that's a really good thing and and that you all enjoy it. And of course, I'm always open to suggestions for different types of episodes you'd like to hear. I'm thinking of it more of a lifestyle type podcast. It is not going anywhere. We are staying. And I am so happy you are here. Email me at lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com if you have any suggestions. And uh, we are fired up and excited for what's to come with this show. Uh, If you do love the podcast, please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes so other new listeners can potentially find us and hopefully enjoy the show just like you hopefully are as well. Uh, All right. Enjoy my conversation with Erica. All right, friends. Today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, my sister, Erica Anderson, is joining us. Hi, Erica. Hi. Glad to be back. 
second timer over here. Yeah, I feel really popular and special. We don't have too many second timers on the show. We've got you. We've got Julie Bogart, Allie Payne. Trying to think who else. You should feel honored. I do. I feel really honored. Thank you. So uh, we first had Erica on like a, a year or two ago talking about her sobriety journey. So let's start there. How's okay. that going? Still sober. Yeah. Still young. How long has it been? Got a lot of good feedback. It's been two and a half years or so, something like that, which is so crazy. It's just so weird. Um, but so it is. Wouldn't have been, couldn't have told me it was going to be true three years ago, but here we are. Yeah. I, I think actually that episode might be the highest downloaded episode of the podcast, honestly. People are fascinated by it. Anytime someone talks about quitting drinking, like, oh yeah, it's just super popular. <laughs> so do you also think it's our age though? Like I feel a little bit like we've turned this corner with age where it's like, okay, I don't want to live like Let's that get it anymore. Together. Yeah. Like obviously the effects of alcohol um, as we age affects us more with our sleep and how we feel the next day anyway. But I also just feel like you get to this point where you're like, okay, this is my one life. Here I am. That's kind of how it was for me. And I'm sure, you know, you can go back and listen, but I just kind of one day was like, wow, are you really going to still be struggling with this for the rest of your life when you're 75 years Mm. old? Like that's so depressing to think about. Um, And then there's also, you know, hitting 40 and I'm like looking at, you know, like all of a sudden my skin just not looking great. And I'm like, that was, you know, that was in there, like motivating factor, alcohol is dehydrating. It's bad for your skin. It's bad for your body in all kinds of ways. So that was another thing, just like another benefit. Do you think, um, I know that you've read like all the books on quitting drinking and stuff like that, the Annie Grace, the Naked Mind. And, you know, I'm seeing more and more people come out about this, but do you think in like 25 years, people are going to look at alcohol like we look at cigarettes? I don't know about 25 years. I do know there are people that that have that thought, though, because um, it really is um, in, in terms of health. It is so bad. I don't I can't tell you if it's to the to the level of cigarettes, but it, it could be. And when you look at the, the rates of how many women are dying with alcohol related illnesses, like and how they've skyrocketed. I mean, it's a huge problem and people are in denial. They don't want to oh, believe totally. it. They don't want to talk about it um, because they like it too much and it's scary. So I don't know then 25 years, but maybe eventually. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten to a pretty healthy place with it at this point, but I still think about it a lot, but I'm not, I'm not like I, I think I used to be more so like, am I going to drink today? Am I not going to drink today? And it was like, you know, that debate, which we had Jen from sober sis on the show, talk about it. Um, and how she would always have that internal debate. And then she'd wake up in the morning yeah. feeling like crap, go to yoga, do her green juice, and then go right back into the cycle. Yeah, women that – I was just reading this in another book that just came out called Intoxicating Lies. And um, she talks in the book about how, you know, she's like, well, yeah, but I went to work and then I always, yeah. like, worked out really hard. The workout is really an excuse for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, because I'd be like, well, look, I just ran five miles. I'm obviously fine. Yeah. Like, and, and then you feel better after the workout and you're like, I can handle this. So a lot of people use exercise as as a coping thing. Okay. I also just read something about exercise and, and drinking and how a lot of people who are religious exercisers, they're looking for, and I mean, I'm talking about me and you and whoever <laughs> else, um, they're looking for that dopamine hit. They're looking for that, like, 
I want to, I'm going to do this because I want to feel good. And that, I mean, for me, that is what it is. I think that all the other things that come with it, like, you know, keeping my weight where I want it to be and feel good has to do with it. But I am looking for that dopamine hit. Um, those are the same people that are looking for that dopamine hit from the alcohol that they're going to get. Well, yeah. And I would always say if I were like, I didn't ever work out in my schedule very often to work out later in the day, but if I worked out at like four o'clock or later, I didn't really ever have a desire to drink. Mm, right. That was an interesting thing That's to helpful. me. Yeah. Yeah. I would be like, oh, this is so weird. Like, I just don't really have that feeling, but like, it doesn't work out in my life to be able to work out at night. So Yeah. I find that too because if I work out later um, and then by the time I'm like done working out and showered, if it's like six o'clock, I don't, I don't need a glass of wine. I don't, you know, for me, the temptation, and I hate even using that word if I think it's not a bad thing, um, but it's, um, it's at like 5 p.m. Yeah. And I want to be wrapped up. That's it is for everybody. (laughs) I want to be wrapped up by seven though. So I, you know me, we've always talked about this. I'm a very strategic drinker. I want to be wrapped up by seven so I can have at least two full glasses of water and like be a full two hours before it's bedtime. So I'm like very much thinking ahead of time about how this is going to affect my sleep in the morning. Yeah, very, there's all kinds of strategy. I I mean, I did the same thing in in my own way. And it's it's funny because now it's like, if you stop drinking, you literally like never think about it. You don't have to think about it. I never think about it unless it's like I'm something's an event or something where I have to be around it, which I don't mind being around it, but I don't think about it otherwise. Yeah. Um, okay. So we could talk for hours yeah, we could about keep going. alcohol. And I mean, I could too. And I'm, I'm very, I have very mixed feelings about it. Um, I do feel in a good, healthy place right now. So that feels good. Um, I don't know that I'd ever want to like totally do what you're doing, but I, I also think it's really cool. And I know you're not looking for people to be like, oh, that's admirable, but it is. I mean, I think it's, especially in the day and age where in a social setting, that is just what is expected, depending on what, where your circles are. And I think you, I mean, didn't have the same thing as I did. I mean, I had a lot of other things that went with it, like just the way it affected my mood and my anxiety and like just the guilt I would feel and just, just screw me up in so many other ways that I don't think you have that going on. I didn't have like, and, and, you know, if, if you want to get in, if you want to hear more of Erica's story, she's got, you know, we can link a post where she's written about it, um, in the show notes, which we will at sandyboyproductions.com. But yeah, I don't have the baggage with it as far as like, oh, I did this, this, and this when I was drinking. Um, but I still, don't want to rely on it to make me as a, it's, it's a bandaid. It's a numbing thing. It's a numbing agent. I always think about, um, this is random, but, um, I was listening to Jen Hatmaker talk about her divorce. And if those listening don't know who she is, she's like a very well-known, um, progressive Christian author. And, uh, she said that she talked to Brené Brown because like, you know, we all talk to Brené Brown when we're going through a divorce, right? <laughs> Everybody. (laughs) Brene said the first thing she said was, do not dare drink right now. Do not pick up the alcohol. And I think something about starting yourself with your people or something like that. But I thought it was very interesting. And I've heard Brene Brown talk about this, I think, on Armchair Experts about um, podcast about. She she was um, a voice in my head. I'm not like a mega Brene Brown fan. I'm not either. But like. She said one time, you know, 
we stopped drinking and well, she's sober, but like she said that one of her uh, motivations was like, I don't want my kids. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have a lot more authority to tell my kids not to do this if I'm not doing it. It, like, why would your kids listen to you if you're doing it? And that is a big one for me, not just for that, but also because of all the addiction in the family and just wanting to have, like, I have credibility to be able to tell you not to do this. So I don't know. That doesn't mean they won't do it, but. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. We don't know how our kids are going to be affected by it. We don't know which of our kids have gonna, an addictive person or tendencies because it is really is, I think, really embedded in your like physical body. Like it's not a choice if you are have an right. addictive personality. Like I feel like I have that not to as extent as some people have it, but I didn't choose that. Um, and other people just just kind of doesn't affect them. Yeah, you know, I and here's another thing I was kind of wanted to talk about today is like our childhood growing up and it. It's one thing that I really admire our mom about because our parents were so young when they had us. Our mom was 19 when they had Erica. She was 21 when she had me. She was 23 when she had our younger sister. And our our dad's a drinker. He drinks every day. And at the time, she was too. I mean, I think they were kind of like partiers, you know, and she just, I think when they got to me, I don't even know if they'd gotten to Shelby yet, our, our younger sister. She just was like, I can't do this because somebody has to quit. Because if somebody in this family doesn't quit, this this isn't going to end how we, how we want it to end. And so our mom just straight up quit drinking. I never saw my mom with alcohol in her hand until I was maybe in college or maybe even after college. Yeah, I think mom is she I really think she gave up a lot <laughs> she, she really did. gave everything to us her whole she life did. and uh that's just one piece of it but like you know she's always felt had very strong convictions about what parenting should be and like I mean she would have wanted all of us to be stay-at-home moms for sure <laughs> <laughs> um and she even like but she's never well of course she doesn't really say much about anything uh that she has to <laughs> criticize but um but she was a great mom. I mean, she is a great mom. And so that is And by one the, of the way, ways. she wasn't a stay-at-home mom. She wasn't. She was like a hat part-time because she worked part-time. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. I mean, I think she, I mean, she just gave up her whole, not gave up, but like she gave everything for us really. So um, she did have a traditional mindset when it came to motherhood as far as what you said being a stay-at-home mom and it's interesting because you and I I mean I I'm the same I'm a I'm like a part-time stay-at-home mom I yeah think, I think most of my neighbors and people around me probably just assume I'm a stay-at-home mom <laughs> I, I always feel like people like I'm always around well you work from home one of the neighbor boys the other day um I don't know he was talking about kinds of moms and I was like well what kind of mom am I and he goes well you're like a babysitter mom <laughs> And I was like, what does that mean? I was like, my mom goes to work. You're a babysitter mom. And he's like, you're always here. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I have a job too. It just looks differently, okay? <laughs> um, like a job outside of the home. Uh, but anyway, yeah, mom definitely always, I feel like, had that traditional view of what motherhood in the most perfect way would look like. And obviously, as we've gotten older and had our own kids 
we know that that's not necessarily true. And that's another thing let's get into is like how the way we're raised doesn't necessarily like dictate what we believe later in life or how we live later in life, but it definitely sets this like really strong foundation. Yeah, I I think you, everybody grows up, at least if you have like a fairly like normal, decent parents, I guess, um, you kind of grow up thinking like, yeah, what they say goes, what they say is right. And, you know, sometimes it takes until your 20s, 30s, 40s until you're like, wait a second, maybe that wasn't, maybe they're not right about everything. They're just people too. They're just people too. And it's it's like when you learn about something that happened to your parent, like something your parent did, when you're like, oh my gosh, like you did drugs or like <laughs> you like, I don't know, I can't even think of what it would be, but just like something that you learn about your parent that makes them imperfect and gives you this perspective of them that's different, which is, um, you know, I told you, I've told you that I've been in therapy lately and I'm like starting to see th- stuff about mom and dad that I'm like, oh, wow, like. I totally see how that was like a really toxic thing and like it's affected me and my relationship and I'm just now seeing it and all of a sudden I'm going, oh, that makes so much sense. Like why I'm the way that I am and it's not good. Um, and so that's that's kind of interesting um, to actually realize and you kind of have to – and the fact that I've been in therapy many times over the years and I'm just now figuring it out uh, in this particular therapy time, which is actually marriage counseling – is really interesting and it's kind of making me have like be a little irritated with them right now. Um, but you know, I still appreciate them for who they are. Cause I know that they're imperfect. And I always think about their own journeys. Like I always think about the fact that they had alcoholic fathers, like really bad alcoholic yeah. fathers and they both left their houses as teenagers. They did everything on their own. They never had any support, either one of them. And so I have a lot of sympathy for, how you have to make your way in the world when you don't have that support system, when you're just like, I'm going to do it. And that's why they have this pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. No excuses. Don't feel sorry for yourself because they couldn't have made it like had they not had that. And so I get it. Um, but you got it's good to healthy to recognize when those like thought processes aren't balanced out by healthy uh, um, the other side of it yeah I mean mom had grandma emotionally she just didn't have any yeah yeah she had her emotionally for sure yeah she's they didn't have any sort of like financial resources to help her um yeah and and like you said their dad alcoholic fathers because we our dad I would call an I would say he's an alcoholic but he's a functional alcoholic and a it, not an abusive alcoholic and things like that. So it's a little bit. Yeah. Like we don't have different. bad memories of him like doing anything negative towards us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I don't have any like, oh, my dad, like I'm scared of him or like nothing, nothing like that. I think it's I think more than anything, it's just on he's just unhealthy person when it comes to that. Yeah. It's hard, though. Like one of the things I've really struggled with going home after we've moved and, and I see it more is like the pressure you feel of that how you have to parent when you're around your parents or other family members like I always feel like mom and dad think I'm not like hard enough on our kids and like they're walking all over me because I don't do this this and this and um that's become a real source of conflict and I think that a lot of people are having this and I'm not trying to be like 
total gentle parent ways. Um, like a lot of, a lot of, um, elder millennial and, and young millennial and would you say Gen Z, right? Yeah. Gen Z. Parents are doing. Some of them have kids. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, there's this like real divide with like how your parents expect and think you should raise your kids and how you actually do it. And that's been a challenge for me. Yeah. Mom's really harsh. Like she's just like, just let her cry. Just <laughs> bye. Like she doesn't care. Like she has no compassion, <laughs> which it's fine. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that judgment from her. Um, and dad just, he doesn't get to say anything cause he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't hang out and like, he doesn't help with the kids. So I don't really care what he has to say. Right. No, I feel the same way about that. All right, friends, I got to take a quick break here and tell you about this lash therapy that I've been using. It has been a game changer for my eyelashes. I basically like had hardly any eyelashes at all before I started using lash therapy by Hello Skincare. I did not have high hopes that this would work very well, and my goodness, it has totally changed how my eyelashes look. I'm not a huge makeup person either, but having more thick, full eyelashes has made me feel a lot better. Um, you can step up your game in just 60 days. It does not take 60 days. I, I feel like I noticed a difference within two weeks. You'll have longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes using Lash Therapy by Hello Skincare. Uh, you can save too, 15% when you go to helloskincare.com. When you check out, use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-H-2-0. They also have a C serum that I use in the morning and a night serum that I use every night. You can buy the package of three. But if you're only going to buy one product from them and you're going to start somewhere, start with that lash therapy. And let me know what you think. I'm serious. These results are crazy. HelloSkincare.com. Use the code LindsayH20 for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, but okay, so you recently wrote your second book. Your first book's Leaving Cloud Nine, and that talks about your husband's upbringing and background and the traumatic upbringing he had and his coming to his relationship with God and his life turning around and all this. So that's called leaving cloud nine. Now this new book you have out is called reason to return. And, um, it really, I think a lot of what you talk about in the book, I think we can start that conversation based on what I had said, like what you are taught growing up doesn't necessarily translate to what you believe as an adult, but that foundation is a very important piece. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about that because you know I really struggle with the God thing and Christianity and church. And um, your book is about returning to the Christian church. Yeah. Well, the original subtitle of the book, which is in there a lot, a couple of times, is the church of your past doesn't have to be the church of your future. So I really wanted to, and one of the thoughts or themes in the groups of people I was thinking of is like, hey, like just because something didn't work for you in the past or was toxic or hurtful, or you realize later, like that's not like, oh, I don't actually agree with that. <laughs> um, doesn't mean that you have to like let go of faith um, because faith is so 
many different things. And so I think, you know, my thought, my um, hope for people is that they will look at this and go, oh, envision a different faith future for themselves, knowing that it doesn't have to be the way that it was and that it can be um, curious and open and of course, I am, you know, a Christian and I'm advocating for the Christian church, but a lot of the things that I talk about in the book related to at least the statistics in terms of well-being and mental health and family stuff, um, honestly go for all, like any religion, if you're part of a faith community, it's super good on all levels and it kind of applies to all faiths. It's just that in the United States, like most people are going to identify with the Christian faith. Um but yeah, I mean, I think people walk away from certain parts of their faith um, from childhood or young adulthood, and they're like, well, that didn't work for me. But then they never stop to think like, oh, but something else could, a different kind of church could, a different denomination could. And so I just don't want people to shut it out and, act, and think that it has to be totally gone because they had a bad experience in the past. Well, and I think one of the problems, and you know, I, Glenn always tells me, my husband Glenn, he was always like, Twitter is not the real world. You see so many of these like loud screaming voices. And to me, I feel like I'm either seeing the super right wing conservative Christian people saying X, Y, and Z, or the super left leaning liberal people who hate the Christians screaming X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, Hey, there's somebody here that sees a little bit of both sides of this. And, and sometimes I'm going to be really honest when I look at those really loud people on Twitter, like I would almost be scared to identify as a Christian in front of them because of what they view Christianity to be. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't base anything on Twitter. (laughs) I'm just using (laughs) that as an example too. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're right. Like most people are more in the middle. Um, But as we all know, the loudest voices get the headlines and get the get the looks and the shares and the sensationalistic things are the ones that get all the play. But I would say, you know, kind of in doing the research for the book, it's like I found that, you know, a lot of people ask, oh, people are leaving the church because of politics and stuff like that, right? And abuse, which that is part of it. And some of it, you know, makes sense. But it's really not usually that. It's usually people that are um, kind of just like fell out of it. Like they kind of just stopped going, um, not because they're bitter, not because they're um, deconstructing, not because they're upset about politics, but just because they got stressed out, they got overwhelmed. I mean, moms of little kids are like statistically speaking, the most stressed out people like basically in the world. And going to church has become less and less of just like a cultural thing that people do. It's like more accepted that you don't go. Mm -hmm. And so people just sort of fell out of it. But the thing is, You'll find that women specifically say like that they actually they value the relationship with God. They want their faith to be important um, and they're just simply not taking the action to actually make that transformation happen in their life. And I don't think it's because they're like lazy. I think it's because it can be overwhelming to pick a church, to go back to church to find a new community of people that's always intimidating. And so part of the book was me kind of just trying to be like, Hey, like, here's like a, like a a bit of a guidebook or like, here's like a first step. Like, here's how you can get back into this. You're saying it's important. Well, you have to do something if anything's going to change in your life. And, and regardless of your faith, 
taking action to become part of a faith community and integrate your life with other people um, in that way is exceptionally beneficial to your life in all ways. And the other piece of it is, do you want your children to grow up rooted in faith? And if you do, now is the time because people choose what they're going to be in regards to faith before they're 14 most of the time. And so if you want to make that impact on your kid's life, you really need to show them. And if you're not showing them, if you're not doing it yourself, you can't just drop them off at youth group or whatever. Like you have to be involved yourself if you want to see that as something that is important to them as well. So it's really a it's like that's another people find a lot of motivation and mm-hmm. being like, whoa, do I care about this for my kid? If I do, I better get serious about it. Yeah. You know, one of the really hard things. For me, I probably, since we've moved to Raleigh almost two years ago now, that's crazy. Um, and we weren't super regular churchgoers. We were like, you know, those churchgoers that like gung ho for like three months and then you're like <laughs> not for like three months and, you know, and always kind of floating around. So I, I, but I always want it. I want to go to church, even when I'm like very, very, very much a doubter and very much like. I don't know if I believe this. Like, I mean, I'm being totally honest and you know that I still want it because I don't see the downfall. What do you feel like, um, like growing up, going to church every week, do you feel like when you go to church, it's sort of like, a, like you're like, oh, I, I remember this. Like, this is a good feeling. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like regardless of what you believe as far as God in the afterlife, and I want to believe in God and heaven and all those things. I really, really, really do. I just struggle. Um, when I go to church, I fe- I want to be a better person. I want to help other people more. I'm reminded that I don't want to live just for myself. And yeah. I don't want to be a selfish person, even though I'm a very selfish person. Aren't we all? Um, and I want my kids to to learn that. I mean, if I really look back at our childhood, regardless of like the random toxic things we did learn in church and the specific church that we went to, which was a very like evangelical. Which you, can, you can read about in Reason to Return. Yes. She, <laughs> she outlined some really kind of like horrific things actually that, that happened. Not abuse. Not abuse. Toxic just, like, teaching. Some weird teaching that was like not okay. Um, in my opinion. But, uh, when I look back to why I think I have a heart for helping other people and serving other people, even though I don't think I do it super well right now, my heart, I think that comes from mom and like the Christian church and teaching us that we aren't really here to live for ourselves. So yeah, I want my kids to have that. And you know, when my kids are running around being huge turds, I'm like, they need to know that this life isn't just all about them and hopefully going to church will help. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, there's so many feelings around it, though. It is really tough. And so anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. But what I was saying was since we moved to Raleigh, I have probably tried out like seven churches and I've probably drugged the kids to like four. Um, this last week, we tried. I tried a new one by myself with Marshall, our oldest. Uh, it was a little mega E, uh, here's the thing. The church I have loved the most since we started, moved here. It's called vintage. If anybody listening is from Raleigh, I love the music. The, the, the pastor really aligned with like what I thought Glenn, even though Glenn like doesn't even believe in God, that pastor aligns with his intellect as far as, 
you know, not being super charismatic, kind of more like mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the facts and stuff. Um, but the kids programming, the kids don't like it. They don't want to go. It's kind of more geared towards. No, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> and so the two that we have tried that the kids liked have those mega church vibes because they have robust kids programs and fun, enticing classrooms. And but some of their teaching, I don't know that I align with it. So it's all like very, very, very challenging to find the right fit. And I know it will never be perfect, uh, but it's for a family of six. It's really hard to find the right and a family of four, whatever. It's hard to find what I it gonna, is and I'm gonna like work yeah like I want I want music that makes me feel a certain way Glenn wants a pastor that's going to be a certain way and I do too and then we want that good kids program that's not but we want to make sure they're teaching our kids you know things that we believe to be all right I'm gonna good. go digging I'm gonna find you a church I'm gonna go find you a church I'm gonna go ask people I mean we <laughs> Where have gone, my sister go to church you know a lot it's interesting uh since moving to the south um I guess this is the South. It's south of the Mason-Dixon. Um, people are very like more, I think it's more traditional church down here as far as like the Baptists, the Methodists. You don't, it's yeah. not as much of that like non-denominational. Oh yeah, they're, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, denominational stuff. I was just talking about this on another podcast and I said, you know, I'm kind of thankful that I grew up in a non-denominational church because I have like zero allegiance to any denomination. Mm-hmm. And I think people get really hung up on that. Um, like, oh, I went, you know, I was actually reading Beth Moore's biography. Oh, I want to read memoir. it. Is it good? It's really good. She's also an amazing writer. And she, you know, had to make this, she made this huge decision last year to leave the Southern Baptist Church. And she, it was really, 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 really hard for her because she was a Southern Baptist and she was like a little girl. And I think denominations, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I think it's fine. But I also think it can kind of cloud, like, the point of the whole thing um, Mm -hmm. and take away from the main thing and divide people in a way. Although I understand why we have to have them because some people are like, nope, like, we're not towing the line on this. But, um, But I do think that not having that made it possible for me to write this book because I was then able to be like, look, you don't, like, there's no you don't have to be allegiant to um, the Methodists or wherever you came from. Like that's not what God is about. And so um, I'm kind of glad that we grew up in that. And I, my church is a Wesleyan now, but that literally just means nothing to me. I just, it was like an accident that we went there. So. Hey everybody. I want to tell you about Koala Clip. This is a really awesome way that I carry my phone with me when I'm on the go for runs or bike rides or anything at all. It is an innovative sports bra phone pouch. So you just clip it to the back of your sports bra. It doesn't bounce around when you're out for a run or on the go. And it keeps your phone from getting wet from your sweat. Or if it's raining outside, it stays safe from the rain in the koala clip. It is such a simple way. And I also, it's a simple way to carry your, your phone, but I also put my key and my ID and a couple dollars in there when I'm running and I'm on the go. And I think I might have to make a pit stop or anything like that. Always safe to have your ID on you as well. Uh, Christina, the founder, she's an amazing entrepreneur. This is a woman-owned small business. They also have incredible sports bras. My all-time favorite sports bra with Koala Clip is the Wren sports bra. I have two of them and I love them so much. 
They are my go-to when they are clean, and they're very affordable and competitively priced. The good news is you all can save when you go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout for 10% off. Again, get that Ren sports bra. Check it out. It's legit. And then check out the Koala Clip. Koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER at checkout. All right, friends. Back to the show. It's also really hard when you're spouse is not interested uh yeah really hard that's something (laughs) I talked about in the book too like it's really it's really hard to do anything like when you're used to doing everything together for example um but like we we went through something recently where my husband didn't want to go to church and I mean I I'm always gonna go um but it does make it harder and we noticed the kids started I don't want to go dad doesn't go well that has really gotten him back yeah Simply them saying that. Well, I mean, it's so important. Growing up, our mom just took us. Our dad never went. And anytime I go by myself, um, I'm always like, guess I'm going to do what mom did growing up. And it's kind of a big bummer, honestly. But, you know, also, do you ever remember um, Steve Pettit would like that's our old come out to our house sometimes and talk to dad and talk to dad like he would just come like say hi. And I never thought about these things until later. And honestly, I hadn't even really thought about that until recently. But it's like the church like cared about our family and cared about dad, even though he didn't go. And I just love sort of those memories of Southside and like Steve. I thought he was like a really good pastor and how he would, I I think I wrote about this in the book, how like he would have these Sundays where he would have just people come up and like just share what they're struggling with. Yeah, you did write about that. All of that. And that is what I want to see more of in church. Like, I want to see more of people just, like, being like, here I am with all my crap, and, like, I'm just coming as I am. Because that's how it should be. And that's how I try to lead, by example, like, sharing my story of drinking in front of my church and, like, all kinds of stuff. Like, I try to just be like, I'm messed up, like, you know, but we're here and it's okay. And so that's another thing I try to stress is like, I think people have a stereotype and a thing in their head about like church is really judgy and this and that. And I'm sure that some places are, Yeah. but there are a lot of other churches I would say that you haven't been a part of that are like, no, we just want you to come in, like come in with your shoes off, come in with your kids screaming. Like my kids are really bad and they're always <laughs> running around with no shoes on and doing stuff they're not supposed to do but like people like like the church really is a welcoming place i mean not every church but many churches are very welcoming places um that just want to like love you and that's it <laughs> um so anyway you guys if if this is like the kind of thing that you're interested in you know if you grew up in this sort of way at all you that like us, you might be interested in this, or if you're searching for a church or you've walked away and you want to come back or you walked away and you don't think you want to come back, the book might be a good place to start. Yeah. And I've got some friends that are, that have been away from church and they said like, they really felt like, yeah, you really like spoke in a compassionate way and, you know, were like, like hearing like the struggles that people have in a way that, you know, people are going to appreciate. So I appreciated their words because I did want to validate everyone's experience that they've had and like under no one understand that like it's hard and 
build a potentially build a bridge back to that if it's something that you want, which according to the data that I was looking at, lots of women do want that, but they're just not sure what to do with that desire. And so I'm hoping that the book is like helpful in like just kind of guiding them to, you know, find that place that they want to be. Yeah. You know, on this podcast, I want to be nothing but my true authentic self. And even, you know, talking to my sister, you know, like who is a very strong Christian and my parents, my mom, at least like in my aunts, like everybody thinks I'm this like wayward person. They're like probably worried about my soul, but like nobody thinks you're a wayward I'm person. I'm just honest. Like I just, I always want to be honest with people. And yeah, why? No, I don't. Wouldn't want you to not be honest. And, like, and the thing is, though, is like in almost everything, <laughs> I feel like there is so much nuance, and I have so many more questions that I have a really hard time landing on answers and. I think that people think like mom always says, like, got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And I'm like, it's not that for me. It's just that, like, I don't want to come to any conclusions if I don't really feel like I know answers. And so I don't know where I'm going with that. But you just I ask. You're curious. You're asking questions. You're seeking. I mean, it's like I I, I feel good about your journey because I think that you're open to the truth and like open to God, like talking to you. And maybe he hasn't said what you're waiting for yet, but he will because you want to know and you you want to know with a pure and honest heart. And you're not like you want to know what's actually true. There are some people that like they don't really want to know what's actually true, but you do. And so that's the best that you can do is just keep asking questions, being open. Well, I remember in college, I was in like a, a group, like a community group. And um, I asked, it was Daryl Jordan, Leah Jordan's dad. And I asked him, I said, well, because I always, I was always a doubter. When you, you and our sister Shelby got baptized when we were kids, I didn't get baptized because I was like, I don't know about <laughs> all this. Like I've always, I've always felt like that. So like, this is not even a new thing at all. Um, but I remember asking him, I was like, what, what if it's not true? And he was like, well, if it's not true and I live my life in this beautiful way, then um, like, what have no, I lost? No, but that's not, I don't think that's a good answer because that's. But I don't think he, I think he thought it was true, but he was like, if for some reason it wasn't, like, what have I lost? But like for someone that's searching, like that's not a satisfactory answer. You're going to be like, okay, great cool but like <laughs> yeah I mean it kind of made me feel like that I was like yeah but like ugh. I mean I I don't know it's it's I can't answer obviously I can't satisfactorily answer that question I will say that my faith has been super uh strengthened by learning apologetics and learning the history um including the history that is validated and affirmed by like non-Christian historians. Like that kind of stuff is fascinating to me and I didn't need it to believe what I believe. But now that I know it, I'm like, wow, like it's, I feel even stronger about my faith because I see all this and crazy evidence of my faith that's actually in history um, and documented. So, so what's a book you recommend in that regard? Um, well, Confronting Christianity, I know you've already read that. I read that. Um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. 
I haven't read um, that. And then... Everybody tells you to read A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Yeah, I haven't read that in a long time. I read that a long I mean, time. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is a, is a newer one. And then also Cold Case, Cold Case Christianity um, is another one. And I think it's interesting because these are, especially Cold Case Christianity, like, it's always interesting and more powerful to me when it's someone that became a Christian as an adult, like well into adulthood. Mm, I agree with that because I'm like, oh, you found this on your own. Your right. parents didn't indoctrinate you. Like, I'm always fascinated by Margaret, which is like our grandma, um, because she mm-hmm. became a Christian when she was like 45 or something or 50. Yeah. that. And that I'm always me. like, wow. And even my husband, like he didn't really become a Christian until until he was like 33. and he, And I'm like – What's that like to come upon this and not have grown up with it? Um, and right. so that's the cold, cold case Christianity. I think I don't know about the other one if he was a Christian as a kid, but anyway, those those are good and they're interesting and they just have all kinds of stuff where you're like, wow, who knew? Um, and then Natasha Crane is another good author for that kind of stuff. I feel like when I read those books, though, like I power through them. But then I'm like, if I really wanted to absorb that, I needed to be like taking notes and then I underline references. <laughs> I know. But then like when she references a bo- old book, I know, but like book, you, I'm like, you I can't be like an up. Old Testament scholar. <laughs> I know. I don't, don't want to be. <laughs> but if that's what solidifies my faith, maybe I need to be. I don't know. But you're right. Yeah. Like. I don't want to invest all my time into that, but yet again, well, I do want to feel more Well, but I mean, you can, you can kind of look at certain people and kind of, I mean, in a way, like, you do have to trust certain people, but I, I mean, if it's something as documented, like, as a footnote in, like, a published book, I mean, if it says that in the book, I mean, pretty much chances are, like, it's true, like, do- the documentation, at least, what it says, like, from that book, you can trust that that's a true documentation. Um, all right. Well, what's, what's next for you? You, you guys, our parents have raised three entrepreneurs through and through. (laughs) Like we said, our mom wasn't a stay at home mom. She wasn't, she's a, she was a nurse. She went to nursing school when I was six. My younger sister was three and Erica was nine. Like who does that? Awesome. Um, I remember like she would like take Shelby with her to like her anatomy lab sometimes because she like didn't have another. Option. I don't remember that. <laughs> all the, all the college kids were probably like, "What's going on here with this woman?" And she really she wasn't even. She very probably old. didn't even look any older than them. No, probably not. But anyway, um, our dad though was was a roofer and he owned his own roofing business, and so it's funny that now erica myself and our younger sister shelby we are all entrepreneurs we all and our our grandma was an entrepreneur and had a costume shop and our other grandma owned a bookstore yeah we've got this in our blood um because our younger sister shelby she owns her own um well she's been on the podcast she owns her own swimming business where she does the rescue swim and then I obviously host this podcast network and then tell everybody else what, what you're yeah. doing outside of the, the book. Yeah. So um, outside of writing books, I am also just like a freelance writer. So I write articles for all kinds of different publications and um, also do freelance um, in general. So I do all kinds of digital media consulting and stuff like that. But I have a business called Pitch and Publish where I'm a writing coach and I teach people how to pitch 
freelance articles and get published in newspapers and magazines, as well as working with people on nonfiction book proposals and manuscripts um, and stuff like that. So that's a recent um, business totally unrelated to this book that I just published and not related to faith either. So I keep those totally separate, um, which makes my life a little chaotic doing all these things. But um, I really love teaching people about writing. So that's been fun for the past year. And she has a seven and five year old. Yep. I have a seven and a five year old and they were home today. So it's been loud. Um, What's the hardest thing about getting published? Not, not, I'm not talking about a book. That's a whole, we can do a whole <laughs> podcast on that. But I'm talking about just like, oh, I have something like an opinion piece I want to write for the New York Times. Like in a nutshell, how do you go about that? You find the editor of the section that you want to pitch and that's you do that by like kind of searching around like who's the editor of the lifestyle section of the New York Times or whatever um and you can pretty much always find their email by digging which is something I teach like more extensively in the class and stuff but you have to get their actual email address and then you have to send them a direct pitch with a compelling subject line that makes them want to click through because they get lots of emails and then um, you just, you have to have a good idea. It's not, it's not about being a great writer so much. It's about how are you pitching an idea that like encapsulates, um, something new, interesting, unique, um, that is attached to something that's trending in the news or culture. And what do you have to say about it? That's interesting. Um, who are you to say it? Why are you the person to say it? And so essentially you have to like, you're, you're selling, selling yourself, yourself, but you're selling your idea. Your idea. Um, and so part of what I teach a lot about is like, how do you come up with that idea? And like, what makes, what makes, how, how do you shape that idea into a sentence that makes an editor be interested in actually publishing it? And so um, that is the gist of it, I guess. Um, it's definitely not easy, but it's definitely possible because um, that's why I always say is like, I got published in all these places and I've been published in the New York Times three times and the Wall Street Journal three times. And I am not anybody special. And so I can tell you it's more about the structure, how you approach it, how you approach your idea um, than anything about who you are. You don't even need any kind of platform. It's not about that. Um, It's like the opposite of a book, (laughs) selling a book, Mm. like a freelance article, like you could have no Twitter or no social media because it's not about that. And when you try to sell a book to a publisher, they want to see that you have a following. Right. Because freelance writing, they're not trying to sell anything. Books, they're trying to sell it. Freelance writing, they're just trying to get readers um, and good ideas. Okay, two more questions about that and then we'll wrap up. Uh, one, how much do you get paid to like if if the New York Times or the Washington Post picks up an article? Like what's the – do and, and is that like something you can bargain with or you get a number and you're like, yep, I'll take it? Um, well, yeah. So like um, the Washington Post, when I published there, they paid $300. Um, the New York Times, they pay $500 if it's online and they pay $700 if they also put it in print. Mm. Um, so you could ask for more. Um, I don't – I have not asked for more. <laughs> You're like, no, I want to be in this publication. I know. I'm like, I didn't don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like when it comes to being published in like the New York Times, it's like not really about the money. Right. It's more about like the – Notoriety. Notoriety and the being able to have that message that you want to send. Um But generally speaking, like, yes, you can ask for more. Like, I've I've asked for more at Christianity Today um, and, like, gotten it. So you just kind of have to feel it out. I wouldn't ever ask the first time around. I would definitely wait. So, um, yeah, you can make some money on that stuff. But I I don't know how you would, like, sustain an entire income on that kind of freelance writing, which is why my business is – I do, like, digital marketing because that pays a lot more than writing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, okay. My last question then is how do you handle the haters? Like when you have an opinion piece and people are like really rotten and mean to you about what you wrote? I really haven't gotten that much to be honest. I mean, the last article, I don't, a lot of times when I'm published like in those bigger spaces, okay, that's not true. The first article I wrote in the New York Times was literally about the 2020 election. Um, So I definitely got a lot of like hate there. Um, But most of the time it's just like, you don't know me and I feel confident in my opinion. Like I want, I feel pretty confident about my opinions that I publish um, in terms like I, because everything I publish is loaded with data and links and evidence of my argument. And so for the most part, like I don't care. Um, people can be really mean, I guess, but I haven't been like that bothered by it. So that's one of the reasons I, it's hard to have an opinion or put a thought out on the internet is because I'm like so scared of the mobs. Yeah, well, I definitely say things that people don't like, but I'm like on a lot of it, I'm like so confident in what I believe that I just think it's stupid that they think that about me. <laughs> That's the thing is like, I, I think that, and, and we've lost this art, especially online, is um, asking more questions. And I know this is like a redundant thing, like people are saying this a lot now, but just like, Asking more questions and trying to understand why someone believes what they believe. And we've lost the art of that, you know, in person and online, but really online. Yeah. And I mean, I have people that I very much so disagree with, but I can understand why they believe what they believe, even if I don't agree with it. And I have, I don't hate anybody like I would never cut anyone out of my life. Like, I'm perfectly fine interacting with and being friends with people that believe totally different from me. Um, and I don't know. That's that's the difference, I guess, between me and other people. Um, but it just I, – I can, I can disagree with someone and still love them and still think that they're, like, a really great person. And I don't know why other people have such a hard time doing that. Not everybody does that, but a lot of people do. The internet is toxic. I think a lot of times – if you would be face to face with that person, like the two of you sitting down having coffee and like you actually knew them outside of their opinions. Oh yeah. That's what I say is like, sometimes like if you go to the park or something, you start talking to a random mom, it's like, you don't know anything about what she believes and you don't care. It like, it doesn't matter because like who they are on the inside is not what they believe about politics or whatever. Um, And so That's why I kind of like it when that's a secret for a while. It doesn't last long. It doesn't last long because you always become Facebook friends with someone and (laughs) know exactly what they think. But Oh, my gosh. Okay. And then I'm always a little bit afraid. I'm like, oh, Oh, what do they see? What I just wait till they see who I am. Wait till they see what I've said, (laughs) what I've said. Hopefully they still like me. Just keep everything in the middle like me and you won't have that problem, Erica. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, though? The thing about not having lots of loud opinions is then people make assumptions about you. Oh, I know. Shelby was just talking about that. A lot of people assume different things about me, I think. Um, Okay. Not that anybody's actually thinking about me. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Really self-importantizing myself. Uh, Let's wrap up with into podcast questions because I don't remember if we did these but um, last time you were on, but... uh, What's something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I would like to go on a vacation to Greece with my husband. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Good luck to you. Thank you. In that endeavor. What's the best, most recent book you've read? The Beth Moore book. Oh. What's it called? My, my Untangled li- or My, my Knotted Up life. life. So I actually randomly went back to our old friend Jamie Ivy, The Happy Hour, which, by the way, Erica was on that podcast, which is a really big deal because that was the first podcast heard I ever really listened to. And we were like big Jamie Ivy fangirls for a long time. Sadly, I don't you listen to the Beth Moore podcast. Sadly, I don't listen to the happy hour anymore. But for some reason, I did go see who she recently had on. And I, I saw Beth Moore. And so I listened to that one. Yeah, I listened to it, too. And I also listened to her on Annie Downs. I did not listen to her on Annie Downs. They're um, different. You know, I think I was searching because I'm I'm interviewing Sonia Richards Ross for I'll Have Another Tomorrow. And um, she was randomly on Jamie Ivey's podcast like in 2018. So I wanted to go back and listen to that episode. And I think that's how I was back on her page. But um, yeah, it was really it was really good. And it made me want to read the book. And I also saw Jamie B. Golden, who is the co-host of the podcast that I love, was recommending Beth Moore's book. So, yeah, it's really good. She's an amazing writer. What is your last message to leave with the audience? Just be curious, be open, and ask God to guide you. Love it. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. I have really enjoyed this conversation with Erica, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. You can learn more about what Erica is doing. Her website is ericaanderson.com and her pitch and publish business is pitchandpublish.co. You can also find her on Instagram. She is Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A underscore Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N on Instagram. You can find me personally. I am lindsayhine626 on Instagram, at lindsayhine on Twitter. And if you want to learn anything about what we talked about in this podcast, go to sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling with an awesome conversation with Shannon Martin.